The party season is upon us. So of course, we need to discuss occasion wear so that we will be ready for all of our holiday festivities. In this episode of Threaded Together, we will be talking through some tricky fabrics to work with like sequins and velvet, as well as taking you through some other fabrics that are easier to work with, but really impactful. We'll also be sharing why this might be the right time of year to test out some of those couture techniques we're always talking about. And we will be sharing our favorite holiday outfit trends for the season to inspire your next project or outfit. Hello and welcome to Threaded Together, a podcast that stitches together home sewing and high fashion. We're your hosts. I'm Tracy. I'm Rebecca. And in today's episode, we'll be discussing sewing occasion wear. This is our 11th episode for Threaded Together and we are so excited to have you. And we are thrilled to have you back listening to us again. And don't forget to find us on social media at Threaded Together Podcast, where you can see what we're working on and keep up with us between podcasts. Just give us a follow. So Tracy, in the last month, we actually had two episodes of Threaded Together, one on what we wish we knew when we started sewing, and the other was a special edition on all of the exhibits that we saw in October in London. During that trip, we got to attend the Gabrielle Chanel exhibit, which we talk about in that episode. But since that episode went live very recently, we also had the pleasure of attending another V&A conversation that I would love to touch on before we get started today. Yes, the V&A hosted a conversation between fashion legend Amanda Harlick and fashion critic Alexander Fury on the current Chanel exhibit and the legacy of Gabrielle Chanel. I was able to attend in person, which was wonderful. Since I was not in London, I attended virtually, but I have to say setting up the stream on my TV and sitting in my living room watching it live was also quite lovely. I'd highly recommend it for anyone considering any of those talks in the future. You absolutely can do it just from home. And Tracy, I know we both took a lot of notes on the discussion, but is there anything you wanted to call out as a highlight or something that stood out to you? I loved how they talked about the modernity of Chanel, her sense of self being so strong that it makes the clothes themselves modern Mm. and the private luxury enjoyed by her garments. So for example, the lining inside a coat that no one would see, but that's just there for the wearer to enjoy. And it was just really, really wonderful to to see the talk in person. So the same question Mm -hmm. to you, Rebecca, what did you enjoy? What stood out? It was such a pleasure listening to especially Amanda Harlech Her actual British title aside, she's absolutely fashion royalty and it was such a treat uh, to listen to her. And a quick background on um, Amanda Harlech is she worked as a stylist with John Galliano in his early days only to not get brought with him to Dior. So she was then snatched up by Karl Lagerfeld and brought to Chanel where she stayed with him for the rest of her career among other jobs that she had. And there were so many little gems of wisdom But I think one of the biggest takeaways for me was her focus on what a pioneer Gabrielle Chanel was. And her concluding quote for the discussion was, she left so much paint in the paint box that other artists could go on painting forever in reference to the depth and innovation in Gabrielle Chanel's work. I also did want to mention something in contrast that Alexander Fury said that had me kind of slightly reeling a bit. He said something like the audacity of 
of Chanel to think that women would want to buy her clothes just because she was a woman and liked to wear them herself. And mind you, this is in a time when all of the other designers were men. So let's contrast that with the audacity of men then and now that just because they have an idea of what they think women would like to wear, women then should want to wear it. I mean, the pure arrogance in that comment shows exactly why we still have so many issues in our modern patriarchal society with a company like Caring recently filling all of its creative director spots with white men that are doing women's wear. Instead of holding up Chanel and he often even mentioned Mucha Prada as rarities who somehow translated their personal perspective into powerhouse brands. We should be asking why all of these men who have zero lived experience about what it's like to actually be a woman, to wear the clothing that we do, et cetera, should have any right to design for women at all. <laughs> but I mean, anyways, we'll keep fighting the good fight and making our own clothes as women for ourselves. And speaking <laughs> of which, I don't have many updates for what I've been working on this episode due to some unexpected family events that have kept me traveling. Um, so I still have a lot to get done. But Tracy, what have you been working on in the past month? Well, in our last episode, I told you I had made a start on the Freddie jacket by Bella Loves Passions. And I've, my fabric's this gorgeous Italian tweed with sequins on it from Selvage and Bolts. Mm. Um, and I'm partway through the jacket. Um, I've made my welt pockets. A reminder to check out our episode seven, where we discuss amongst other feared construction techniques, <laughs> welt pockets. And as we said then, the problem is that they come in a pair and the chance yes. of two perfect ones is, is not... Um... So true. <laughs> but I'm happy with them. It's not completely perfect, but only when you are inspecting them up close. <laughs> but I've made good progress on the jacket and I've really, really enjoyed making it. The fabric is an absolute dream to work with. The instructions are incredible. And it's shaping up to be a really beautiful make. I've seen a lot of progress photos and it's coming out so beautifully, Tracy. And I just, I'm so in love with that fabric. I actually did go over to their website and took a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it really, really is lovely. And that is linked, I think, in our last show notes. So yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so I'm already thinking about how I could make another one. And um, I've just spent the weekend in Ireland uh, and my cousins took me to this gorgeous shop called Soso, which is a nice Ooh. and I picked up this gorgeous wool lurex fabric in a neon orange coral colour and I think it will make an excellent <laughs> another Freddy jacket so that will be a fun project for next year I think um, but I've broken one of my sewing rules which is to finish something before starting something else I've got, <laughs> I've got a sewing deadline which meant I've had to put a pause on the Freddy jacket um, my husband has a big birthday party coming up at the start of December and I've been prepping my outfit for that I've got big plans for this dress. I'm thinking sequins and feathers, <laughs> which is a great segue for our episode today. That dress sounds fabulous. And 
I also definitely need to see some of that neon <laughs> fabric. That sounds amazing. But indeed, that was the perfect segue as the holiday season is upon us. And whether you have holiday parties lined up back to back like Tracy does, or you're making <laughs> fancy dinner plans with your friends and family like I love to do, we're all going to need some fabulous outfits. <laughs> so when we think of a holiday party or a Christmas party, we think of fun fabrics such as sequins and velvet and feathers and brocade and jacquard. Basically, we want to make a statement, Tracy. Exactly. But those statement making fabrics are also some of the hardest to work with. So first, let's talk through what those fabrics are and how you might need to handle them differently. Sounds great. Should we jump in with velvet? So velvet is somewhat terrifying to sew because one of the first rules of velvet is to not press it like you would do with other fabrics because an iron on it could ruin the pile. And to define that quickly, velvet has something called a pile to it. And I think a good way to think about what pile means is if you think of another common thing that has a pile would be a carpet or a rug. So in a rug, the fibers stick upwards and the higher or the longer the fibers are away from the base of the carpet, the fluffier your carpet is or the higher the pile is. And velvet is the same way. It has fibers that point upwards on the fabric or are looped in, giving it that soft feel. But both sides of the fibers aren't always the same, which is why when you brush velvet one way versus the other, the color might change and we'll cover that in a moment. That's a brilliant description um, of the pile. But let's talk about the properties of velvet. So historically, velvet was made of silk, but now you might find it as a viscous velvet or a cotton velvet or a silk velvet or a synthetic like polyester velvet. Velvet is very soft and usually has a bit of stretch to it when you're working with velvet fabric for clothing. Since velvet was originally made out of pure silk, it has a history of being quite expensive and was historically used for royalty, which is likely one of the reasons we consider it to be such a luxurious fabric even today. There are a lot of different types of velvet from crushed to velour, embossed, and even devore or burnout velvet. And we'll link a good resource for learning about the different types, but they all really need to be handled similarly when you're working with them. So you have your velvet. It's probably dry clean only. How are you going to prep it? <laughs> I like steamy press on the reverse. <laughs> it is the best way to go. But avoid your iron actually touching the velvet. And we'll cover off some more tips on pressing the velvet, surely. It might have been crushed in transit and a light steamy press on the reverse should sort that out. Unless you've bought a bolt, then it might be sent in a slightly different way. Rebecca, have you got any uh, thoughts on that? <laughs> Why, yeah. So if you buy velvet commercially, it's stored a bit differently to protect the pile and not to squish it, especially when being shipped with other bolts of fabric. I've actually received velvet on a bolt that had hooks in it extending about a quarter of a meter wide. And I'd say each hook was about a centimeter away from the other one. And one layer of the velvet was on each round of the hook, if that makes sense. So basically it's hung with the layers separated from one another to keep the pile from getting squished. But that's that's quite a robust way to 
to have it shipped and you're very unlikely to find that in more of your traditional fabric store. Yes, it sounds like quite the contraption. <laughs> it, it is. It's quite scary when you look at it, but that that velvet is certainly keeping its shape. <laughs> so when cutting out velvet, you have to be mindful of the nap. So a nap fabric typically has a direction in which it feels smoothest. So the question is, do you want to run your hand down your dress and have it feel smooth or have resistance? Like stroking a pet, stroking a cat. Typically, the pile runs down the garment and shows off the sheen of the velvet, but you might want a different effect in your garment. Either way, unless it's a very deliberate design decision or a style decision, you want to make sure that you consider the nap when cutting out your fabric. And if your pattern isn't intended for napped fabric, you may need to factor that into your fabric calculations before purchasing, um, as it may require more fabric. Some patterns, though, will have two different yardage amounts, one that covers snap fabrics. Such a good point, Tracy. Often patterns come with cutting guides as to how to lay out your pieces, but with velvet, you'll need to think differently about that process. You will want to cut your velvet in a single layer, so be mindful of pattern pieces that are intended to be cut on the fold or are intended to be cut as a pair. And you want to cut the fabric wrong side facing up, so be sure to note the direction of the nap first. Seamwork recommends covering your cutting surface with tissue paper so that you can shift the fabric without compromising the grain line and to use lightweight pattern weights to hold the fabric in place so that you don't squash the the pile. So maybe now isn't the time to use a big heavy book as a pattern weight. (laughs) I feel like that's calling me out. So noted, Tracy. Noted. (laughs) Use tailor tacks to mark your fabric, but use a fine sharp hand sewing needle with silk thread to sew the tacks in place and you can use snips for your notches. There's also a case to be made for cutting out your pattern with pinking shears versus scissors depending on how you intend to finish your seams but more on that in a moment. Mm-hmm. So one of the most challenging aspects of velvet as we mentioned earlier is that you can easily damage the pile with an iron so you have a lot of things to consider. Never allow the iron to touch the fabric And use lots of steam, I think is the the top tip. (laughs) You you have to press velvet on the wrong side of the fabric. And ideally, you would use a needle board, which is this steel wire thing on a canvas board. And when you're pressing your velvet, you'd put it face down onto this steel wire so that it keeps the pile from matting or flattening while you're pressing. Velvet boards are expensive, though. And unless you can find one cheaply, secondhand... It's probably not worth the investment unless you're going to sew a lot of velvet. They're quite small, so you have to move them around. But if you don't have a velvet board, you could use more velvet. So pressing your velvet onto velvet or use a terry cloth towel, basically anything that will protect the nap. And Tracy, you recently purchased a needleboard though, didn't you? I did as we were preparing for this episode. (laughs) I thought it would be good to see what it looked like in real life. But I did find it at a reasonable price on eBay. So a secondhand one. And I haven't used it yet. I'm going to make my velvet dress in the next week or so. So I will report back on how it it works. I can't wait to hear about that. (laughs) Um, So when you're pressing, you want to use a pressing cloth as well and steam, a lot of steam. You want to avoid an imprint in the seams so you can slide a piece of A4 paper in between the seam allowance to help prevent that. Um, And finger pressing can be really useful as well for the seams. 
Tracy, can you explain finger pressing for those of us who may not be familiar? Finger pressing is literally, uh, as the name suggests, pressing with your finger. So it's useful for some fabrics where you don't want to um, use an iron and it can be all that's needed on a seam. And because you want to minimise the use of the iron on your velvet, you don't want to use iron on interfacing. So when you're working with velvet, instead opt for our good old friend silk organza <laughs> and stitch and stitch in the interfacing instead. So to summarise, basically, Tracy, we should avoid pressing at all costs and steam over iron. Yes. Yeah. And on the reverse and use a pressing cloth and all that good stuff. Protect the nap. All of that. (laughs) Got it. Okay. So when you're sewing it, when sewing velvet, you really, really don't want to unpick it as it can leave holes in it. So it's worth taking your time and hand basting before taking it to the machine. When you put velvet right sides together, the fabric will slip against itself. And this shifting of fabric is known as creeping. And you want to do everything you can to stop this. So there's a few tricks and tips. Um, Hand basting will help. So use a diagonal basting stitch. Um, Alternatively, you could use a back stitch or a double basting stitch. You can use a walking foot on your machine. So a walking foot will move the top and bottom layers of your Mm. fabric evenly though it's definitely worth trying on a scrap bit of fabric first because you might find that your walking foot will leave tracks on the pile which may or may not brush your steam out um alternatively you could try a teflon foot or a roller foot but again try with scraps on your machine you could try loosening your tension a notch and lowering your presser foot pressure you could try stitching with tissue paper layers um between the fabric and or between the the feed dogs and and the fabric and threads magazine suggests that you could even use a temporary spray adhesive and we'll link the article um to that in the show notes but i'd recommend again trying that on a scrap before committing to uh, a spray adhesive and then where possible you want to stitch in the direction of the nap as well bulk in seams and seam allowances are also big issues with velvet since we will have multiple layers of this delightful fluffy fabric what are good tips for different design details if you find yourself with multiple layers tracy well this is a great question overall you want to avoid extra seams wherever possible when using velvet so minimal designs are best for darts slash them along the fold and press them open for gathering stitch your gathering stitch is within the seam allowance and on the seam lines, not outside of the seam allowance. And so that you don't distort the pile of the fabric when sewing seams that stitch in the direction of the pile, basting the seams first, as we mentioned earlier, will, will help feed everything evenly. And don't use stretch stitches because they can distort the pile. If your velvet has a particularly long or dense pile, you want to reduce the bulk from the seams. And you can do this by shaving the seams or by reducing the seam allowance and using an overedge seam. What's an overedge seam? <laughs> I, think, I think it's like um, overcast stitch or uh, overlock with two or three stitches. Ah, okay. Because anything like a blanket stitch or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But if the pile is caught in the seam allowance, you need to free it before shaving or trimming the seam allowance. And you can do this by pulling out the pile with a blunt needle. Velvet really is a labour of love. And for a good result, you 
do you have to take your time? One of the seam finishes recommended for Velvet by Reader's Digest is net bound using nylon net or tool. You fold strips in half lengthwise and bind the edges, but you could leave them raw if they don't fray and trim them with pinking shears as an option or a three stitch overlock stitch. You want to keep your seam finishes lightweight and simple with the ultimate goal of minimizing as much bulk at your seams as possible. And when hemming velvet, firstly, you want to let it hang for 24 hours before hemming because it needs time to relax and you might find that it drops. So you want to, like the seams, you want to avoid bulk in your hems. So you want to avoid the bulk of folding over your hem or top stitching it in place. You might find that the simplest solution of turning it up and hand catch stitching the hem in place gives the best results. There's some alternatives to consider, again, from the Reader's Digest Complete Guide to Sewing. Um, and they include a Hong Kong hem using a nylon net to cover the raw edge, interfacing the hem to keep a soft roll on the shape of the hemline and here you'd have the interfacing extend an inch above and below the hemline or for a circular skirt they recommend hand rolling the hem using a silk thread oh that sounds lovely but it's such a luxurious fabric and it really needs the special hem treatment that it deserves and as with any specialty fabric you'll want to consider your needle choice regardless of if you have a high-end or a basic sewing machine so seam work recommends a 70 micro needle for a traditional velvet and a 75 stretch needle if you're working with a stretch velvet. As we mentioned earlier, seaming and velvet can be challenging. So you'll want to put some extra thought into your pattern when you are making something out of velvet. Since everything shows up on velvet, you will find velvet works best with simple lines, with minimal darts, minimal seam lines. Um, you'll find that gathers and soft folds and drapey styles will work really well with velvet and will show off the fabulous fabric. This doesn't mean you can't make more structured shapes. You absolutely can. You'll just need to put a bit more consideration into how to accomplish that using velvet. A great example of this happens to be hanging in my closet. I have a purple velvet 1990s Vivian Westwood suit that is a jacket and skirt with the most gorgeous layered neckline and bubble shape in the skirt. What makes these pieces look so incredible is instead of putting darts where you would normally have them on a jacket or the skirt, the fabric is instead pleated or folded on top of itself. That accomplishes the same shaping, reduces the need for an extra seam, and takes advantage of the absolutely gorgeous dimension created by the the folds in the velvet fabric. I've also seen wide leg trousers with deep front pleats in velvet that are absolutely stunning. Again, you might have to get a little creative with your techniques when using velvet. And of course, remember, do not press those pleats, but that extra creativity will be worth it. Love it. And it's such a beautiful jacket. So should we talk about sequins next? Absolutely. Sequin fabric comes in many forms, different sizes, different shapes. You can get sequins on stretch fabric, like a jersey or a mesh, or sequins on non-stretch fabric, like an organza or a tool or a mesh. This is the one case where you don't have to pre-wash it. <laughs> sequins are dry clean or specialist clean only because you don't want them to break. You can jump straight in with sewing, not pre-washing necessary. I love it. Sequins may have an app. And if that's the case, think about the direction you want your sequins to face 
most often down and factor that direction into your cutting. It's much easier to cut sequins in a single layer. So rather than folding your fabric when cutting, just take the time to cut it in a single layer, but then also use some of the same calculations that we were talking about earlier with your velvet fabric. And sequins aren't very kind to your scissors. So (laughs) don't use your best scissors because they'll most likely blunt them. (laughs) And By Hand London suggests that you get the best results with a rotary cutter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And you'll want to cut the fabric with the wrong side up. Mm -hmm. And when cutting and sewing with sequins, it's worth wearing glasses or safety goggles (laughs) because they fly everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't want one of those hitting your eye. (laughs) You'll find that sometimes if you've snipped notches, you won't be able to spot them in a sequin fabric. So it's much more practical to use tailor tacks instead. And after you cut it all out, you want to remove the sequins from the seam allowance and from the hem allowance. So you can do this by marking your stitching lines with a contrasting basting stitch to help you identify which sequins need removing. And then you can remove the sequins by using small scissors or a seam ripper or even tweezers. Um, But you want to be sure to cut the sequins themselves and not the threads that are holding them in place. And then if your sequins are in threads, like long strings of threads, you can tie off the knots at this stage. So Tracy, I haven't ever sewn with sequins, but I've watched enough Project Runway to have (laughs) seen many a designer taking a hammer to a sequin fabric as a method for quickly removing sequins. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's another technique. Um, if you've got a good surface to hammer onto (laughs) and, um, I mean, if you're going to line it, it's okay, isn't it? I've never tried that because I think, why have I not done it? Maybe. I mean, probably because you care more about your fabric and you're not just like, (laughs) I have two hours to make this. That's definitely a technique though. I mean, definitely, definitely wear safety goggles. (laughs) Absolutely. If you're hammering sequins. (laughs) Okay, so to prevent the loose sequins from falling off, it's worth stay stitching the seam and the hem allowances uh, a couple of mils from the seam allowance. And this is where I think it depends on the size of the sequins you're working with and the density of them and how they're attached, because that can really make a difference. So for the dress I'm making right now, I bypassed the basting stage and I just went straight in with a stay stitch um stay stitching the seam allowance and I've I've used that to as the line to identify the sequins to remove and it goes without saying that sequins could melt under an iron so if you can get away with finger pressing which we defined earlier you should absolutely do that but if you do have to press them then do so on the wrong side of the sequin fabric don't use steam use a warm dry iron and of course a pressing cloth and when stitching sequins you can use a zipper foot um there's a Vogue pattern I've got that suggests a zipper foot and I think it's genius Mm. Um, and again when sewing sequins wear your safety goggles (laughs) (laughs) my husband walked in on me and was like what are you wearing (laughs) (laughs) but you know I think you've got to protect your eyes Um, but they have (laughs) 
they have a tendency to fly off in all kinds of directions. And if one hits you at speed, it's not worth the risk. And you're going to break needles as well when you're sewing sequins. So make Mm. sure that you've got a few spare and you're prepared for a needle breakage. And if you're missing any sequins or have any broken sequins, you can always replace them with spares. If there are any loose ones, you definitely will want to secure them with a bit of thread before you finish your garment. Mm -hmm. And you will want to line your sequined garment so that you don't have it scratching you. And this also means you don't have to deal with um, raw seams as well. Which is good because you don't want to use an overlocker on your sequined fabric. And on a personal note, take extra care when you're dealing with any edges of your garment that might get close to touching your skin, such as a pocket edge or on a high collared neckline, as that just a little bit of edge of sequins can kind of give you a little slice sometimes. So Mm. might be good to remove those to give yourself a little softer landing against the skin. So we've all the seam prep work that's required for sequins and and the need to really minimize pressing it, you will want to stick with simpler pattern styles. You really don't want to be dealing with lots of darts and seam lines. And when you do a search for a sequin dress and, and then start looking at the seam lines on all the sequin dresses out there, you will notice that for the most part, they are really, really simple shapes and they just let the sequins do the talking. You can also add a splash of glam to an outfit instead of making a whole sequin garment. So think about perhaps a sequin cuff detail or a hem trim or replacing a panel on a top with a bit of sequins instead. Yes. That's definitely true because in the past I made myself a bomber jacket in sequins which was fully lined oh. and but I omitted some of the like more complex pieces <laughs> like the world pocket. Oh gosh. <laughs> but I also made a sweatshirt with a front panel in sequins and that was quite a nice way of a bit of glam and using a bit mm-hmm. of sequins. And I mentioned earlier I'm working on a dress um for for a party but um with the scraps from that I'm hoping to make a small bag but I'll let you know how that goes. Now, I think we want to call out a problem with sequins. For the most part, they are not sustainable. They're basically metallic, finished plastic. So if you are sewing sequins, try to buy dead stock or upcycle if you can. Make sure what you make is going to be a well-loved staple in your wardrobe for years to come. That's a great point, Tracy. And there are some recycled plastic sequin fabric options available, but unfortunately, the more sustainable sequins of the past, such as the Dior Junon dress from 1949, which had sequins made out of gelatin, had the unfortunate consequence of dissolving over time if exposed to heat or water. So great for the environment, but less so for longevity of wear in your closet. So now you have all of the sequin inspiration. You can make a sparkly dress to match your personality and go forth and shine. (laughs) Okay, so next up, feathers are really great at adding that extra bit of glamour to an outfit. Think of a feather trim at the hem of a skirt, the cuffs of trousers, the cuffs of a sleeve. You can get feathers like ostrich or marabou already attached to a bio strip, which makes it so easy to attach. Tracy, if I remember correctly, you've worked with feathers in the past and had a bit of a revelation about easier ways to use them. What was that? Yes, that's right. I had, um, I'd made this dress and I'd attached the feathers to the hem in a continuous um, stitch along the hem. And 
it made the hem quite rigid, which wasn't the flowy, delicate feel that I wanted for the hem. And then inspecting the hem on a dress in a shop which had had this feather trim, I noticed that the bias strip was attached every few centimetres instead. So it wasn't a continuous stitch and it just made it more delicate, the, the feathers, and, and made them flow um, separately to the hem of the dress. So it's also worth calling out some other types of fabrics like brocade, jacquard and cloquet as really good party wear fabrics. Now, they're all different fabrics, but they've got similar characteristics, which is why we've grouped them together. According to the New Vogue sewing book, which is really not new at all, brocade <laughs> fabrics have a flat or raised woven in design and are reversible. So you can choose which side of the fabric you'd like to use, or you can use both. Brocades like velvets also need extra care while pressing so that the design won't be flattened. And a terry towel works great for accomplishing that when you're pressing your garment. And jacquard has a design or a motif woven into the construction of the weave and they can come in a knit or a woven fabric and a, or a more luxurious way to have a printed fabric since the print is part of the fabric itself. Similarly, cloquet is another fabric to look out for. It's a double fabric with a jacquard effect and an embossed surface. Any fabric that has metallic fibers or threads can be gorgeous to work with from a lame to a brocade, but they also need some special considerations when working with them. An additional lining may be needed to protect your skin from contact with the fabric, similar to sequins. And also you may want to press any seam allowances with care or use a thimble to finger press the seams. Lastly, you may want to choose an older pair of scissors and cutting out the metallic fabric, although this is not something that I've ever done. But now I'm thinking I need to adopt that in the future in order to not dull my scissors. So these fabrics often have a firm or stiff hand and don't lend themselves to drapey passions. Well, lame potentially excluded. But the patterns with darts and pleats and structure and shape will be really impactful in a brocade or a jacquard, a full skirt, a princess seam, a dress, a boxy jacket. So on my to sew list um, over the next few weeks is the pattern fantastic Mercis dress in this pink and turquoise metallic brocade because I think the stiff hand of the brocade will make that dress really stand out. Oh, I've just popped open that link, Tracy. That looks gorgeous. Yeah. Imagine that. That would look so fabulous. <laughs> just like you said, a little bit of volume and just let the fabric do the talking. That's going to be lovely. Absolutely. We discuss couture methods for doing things a lot on this podcast, and you may wonder, when does it actually make more sense to use a couture technique for finishing something versus a standard technique? A good answer to this is when you have a fabric or pattern that just isn't that machine friendly, like a lot of our special occasion wear fabrics, that's when these techniques are really going to come in handy. Mm -hmm. Bulk is a big issue for a lot of the fabrics we discussed today. And it's worth thinking about your linings and hemming techniques to make sure that they really suit your garment and the fabric that you're using. So it is trend time. And as always, when we are talking about fashion trends, we like to remind you that trends should be used as an inspiration to find pieces or create pieces that help you express your authentic self long term. They shouldn't be used as an excuse to buy or make something you will have for a season and then want to dispose of. Absolutely, Tracy. 
And holiday fashion trends don't usually change that much year to year. You have the things we already discussed, such as fabric and potentially color. That's usually it. This year, however, is a bit weird as there are some unique things popping up. So let's discuss them. Mm-hmm. First, hemline. There's a widely agreed upon economic theory that short hemlines precede a recession and then longer hemlines appear during a recession. The classic example is late 80s, early 90s miniskirts into the mid 90s maxi skirts. Right now, looking at interest rates, you might be a bit confused as to which side of the pendulum we're on and the fashion trends would agree with you. For the 2023 holiday season, we've been seeing a lot of mini mini skirts, but with long sleeves, and then Mm. equally as many, yet perhaps more impactfully, floor length dramatic hemlines in skirts, but styled in a more relaxed way. Economic implications aside, I love a dramatic floor length skirt for the holiday season. Something that with a matching top could be ready for a black tie affair, but that's not how you're going to be wearing it. You'll toss it on with a t-shirt or something easy, and it will be an absolute showstopper at your next outing. Now, this idea of a long evening maxi skirt with something simpler on top is a very kind of 90s Victorian influence crossed with early 2000s minimalism. And it's something that makes a very unexpected statement, but in the best way. I'll always remember this silver fishtail satin skirt from the mid 2010s by Olivier Taskins for Theory that was too expensive for me to purchase at the time, sadly, but was always styled with something casual on top. And it was just the epitome of luxury to me. The idea of wearing a floor length formal skirt like it's nothing. So if you're looking for something unusual to add to your holiday wardrobe this year, that might be a fun trend to try out. What do you think, Tracy? That sounds super. I'm going to dig out all my long skirts. <laughs> now, another big trend still going strong for the season is metallic pieces, especially silver. Mm-hmm. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Rebecca, that's always on trend for the holidays. And yes, it is. But the difference is that with metallics trending throughout 2024 as well, it would be a good idea to perhaps choose separates this season that could be remixed into your wardrobe throughout the coming year instead of just opting for a silver party dress. So just some food for thought on that for you. Mm -hmm. And lastly, two trends that are also really big this season that kind of go in and out from year to year are lingerie inspired pieces and tuxedos. I just thrifted a full vintage tuxedo when I was in the States recently. I'm really excited to rework that combining the masculine tuxedo influence with the ultra feminine lingerie trends to have something that's very unique in my wardrobe that will stay with me for a very long time, but also be very on trend for this season. Which brings us to what we might be working on next. So what is in your making queue, Tracy? It's a long queue. It's a long queue. (laughs) (laughs) I hope to finish my sequin dress over the next couple of days. And then um, with all that talk of velvet at the start of the episode, I really want to make a velvet dress. Um, The brocade dress I mentioned as well, and then finish my Freddy jacket. So I don't think that's all (laughs) achievable in a month, but (laughs) I'll see where I get to. (laughs) 
I am a bit behind on my projects list. I still have at least one coat, a few pair of trousers to finish, and hopefully some holiday pieces. I also have a bolt of navy blue gorgeous velvet that I need to do something with. So Mm -hmm. I guess you'll just have to stay tuned for our next episode (laughs) to find out how much progress we make on those very extensive to-do lists. And talking of our next episode, shall we share what the theme for the next episode is going to be we'll be rounding out the year with our 12th episode and the conclusion of our very first season of threaded together we will be reflecting on the year reviewing our favorite makes toughest makes most worn makes and looking to the year ahead our sewing resolutions and lots more. We are so grateful that you joined us for the past 11 episodes, and we'd love to hear your contributions as we head into our 12th episode. Mm-hmm. Just pop over to threadedtogetherpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter or give us a shout on social media at Threaded Together Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. Absolutely. In the meantime, I'm Tracy. I'm Rebecca. And this has been Threaded Together Podcast. <laughs> Looking forward to our next episode in a month. Make sure you give us a thumbs up on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify. You can find more details on what we discussed today in the show notes below or on threadedtogetherpodcast.com. And for more behind the scenes and regular updates, you can find us on all social media channels at Threaded Together Podcast.